Aloha. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and my guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Aloha, Chad. Well, another redraft. This one should be a fun one. 2017, it's still new enough that there can be a lot of debate about the trajectory of some of these players. And this was a a draft that, on the surface, there was a lot of questions about who was going to be the number one pick in the draft. This was one of those rare cases where the team that had the number one pick in the draft traded out before the draft. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, the Celtics had the number one pick. They decided to move down to number three, and Philadelphia moved up and ended up with the number one pick in the draft. And part of that was the confusion about some of this. People liked the prospects, but knowing who the clear-cut best prospect in the draft, I think, was a real challenge. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, coming in, I think there were actually five different guys who were number one on somebody's board. Yeah. But, I mean, cert- certainly there, there, like, there wasn't a true consensus People liked Markel Fultz, but some people liked Ball. Some people liked Tatum. Some people liked Josh Jackson even. And there were some Fox fans, especially after his tournament game against Lonzo. Uh, so it, it was really uh, spread out in terms of how people felt about the top of the board. It was. So here's the deal. We're going to go back and redraft the 2017 lottery based off of how players have played. In the NBA, in this particular case, because it's only been a couple of years, there'll also be some projection going on as well, how we're projecting them to continue to improve or not improve in the league. But let's let's walk you through the lottery as it went down on draft night in 2017. The Sixers, who had traded up a few days before to get the number one pick in the draft, selected Markel Fultz out of Washington, was... Not the consensus number one guy, but probably was number one on most boards for NBA teams. The Lakers took UCLA's Lonzo Ball at number two. The Celtics took Jason Tatum out of Duke at number three. The Suns, drafted fourth, took Josh Jackson out of Kansas. The Sacramento Kings, here we are. This is the day. Kings fans. Yes. (laughs) All right, Kings. At number five. (laughs) Made a great pick. Darren Fox out of Kentucky. At six, the Orlando Magic took Jonathan Isaac out of Florida State. Minnesota, drafted seventh, would end up trading this pick to the Chicago Bulls. Laurie Markkinen out of Arizona. Frank Delacchina went eight to the Knicks. We'll talk about a little draft day, draft week ruse with the Mavericks on this one. This is a little interesting side story there. Dallas drafted ninth. That was part of the reason for the ruse. They took Dennis Smith out of NC State. Sacramento had the 10th pick in the draft. They're going to trade that pick to the Blazers. And the Blazers are going to select Zach Collins out of Gonzaga. Malik Monk went 11th. Kentucky sharpshooter to the Charlotte Hornets. At 12, the Detroit Pistons selected Luke Kennard out of Duke. The 13th pick in the draft. The Denver Nuggets had it. They make a draft night trade to the Utah Jazz, and the Jazz select Donovan Mitchell out of Louisville. And the 14th pick in the draft, the Miami Heat. Bam Adebayo out of Kentucky. This was a, this was a good draft. This is a good draft. As I was going through and making my board for this, Chad, I had to leave out several good players from my top 14. I did as well, and I had some hard decisions to make, uh, both at the top and in the middle about where to rank guys in this draft. I believe I get the first pick in the draft. All right. Congratulations. It's the Philadelphia 76ers. They're on the clock. They moved up in the draft. Clearly, Fultz was was the target with Ben Simmons on this team, 
with Joel Embiid on the team. The idea was to add a dynamic guard who could shoot the basketball, who could play multiple positions because you knew that Ben Simmons was going to be the primary ball handler for Philadelphia. And and Fultz really seemed like the no-brainer choice there, though I will say that Brett Brown really loved De'Aaron Fox uh, as well. And there was quite a debate in the Sixers front office from the coaching staff who loved Fox, especially for the defensive intensity that he brought to the game and just the sort of grittiness of his game. The selection was Fultz. I don't think anybody could for, have foreseen what would happen next with Markel Fultz. It, one of the strangest and oddest stories to, to come out of the draft in a, in a really, really long time. I'm not going to select him one. I'm going with Donovan Mitchell. Wow. Okay. That surprised me. Okay. I'm glad that we've got our first big surprise <laughs> of the day. Went 13 has been a bit of a franchise player for the Jazz early on. I There was a number of ways you could go here. I mean, Jason Tatum, certainly in that conversation for the number one pick. Bob Adebayo could definitely be in that conversation for the number one pick. I believe that the makeup of Mitchell and what what he is becoming and the continued improvement of Mitchell. I know there was a little bit of a dip uh, for, for him before he started to pick things up again. I think that in the NBA, a guy that can get his own shot anywhere on the court can play multiple positions in the backcourt and has the sort of competitive fire and intensity that Donovan Mitchell brings to the game every night. If I'm going to try to build my franchise around a guy that I think can carry me down the road, to me, it was a tough, tough decision, but Mitchell was my my guy uh, at number one. What do you think about Donovan Mitchell? I mean, certainly he's an impressive player. Don't get me wrong. Like he's an all-star, like d- definitely, definitely should be in one of the top three spots on anyone's board coming from this draft. But... uh I look at Jason Tatum and the ability to find wings with size who can shoot and play multiple positions uh, the, the way he does and and defend well too. That that's really the holy grail. That's the hardest thing to fill. It's 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 so hard to find guys like that. Can you imagine him if they had Simmons and Embiid and and Tatum, you know, as a knockdown shooter to to really help spread things out? I, that that was a real missed opportunity for the Sixers for me to to not just walk walk away from this draft with Tatum and, and be happy with that. I, I think either of these guys, Mitchell or Tatum, would have been a major, major improvement for for Philadelphia and would have put them on a different trajectory than they ultimately have to go because it turns out that the 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 pick was botched um, with Fultz. Pre draft, John, like before the draft actually happened was Fultz number one on your board in Memphis or who was number one on your board before the draft took place? I actually can't even remember who was number one. Cause we didn't spend a lot of time at the top of the board. We had, we had no picks entering this draft. And so where we really focused our energy was tw- we knew there was a chance we were going to trade into the second round. We ended up trading in twice. We really focused on, cause it was pretty clear cut who the top, guys were up until about the Mitchell Adebayo picks at 13, 14. And then it was, and then it was just like a, you know, like one of those paint splatter grams, like n- nobody knew it was going to happen after that point. So re- we really focused on the players below that point and ranking them and didn't spend a lot of time at the top of the draft. So I, I, I can't even remember what we had. I know I, I, I remember actually to be perfectly honest, I remember really liking Lonzo ball cause I had seen him in person a couple of times, and I thought he reminded me a lot of Jason Kidd. Uh, hasn't quite gotten to that level as a pro. I was a Fultz guy. He was number one on my board. I, I really believed in him. He seemed, again, like a multi-positional player who at Washington could really stroke the basketball, high basketball IQ, could his, get to the basket. His pull-up his pull up was so good at Washington. NBA fans have literally never seen his pull-up jump shot because he almost immediately began having the shoulder and confidence problems and never shot that way as a pro ever. And even in Orlando where they've rebuilt his shot or whatever. But he could just take a hard dribble and rise right up into a 15-foot pull-up and it looked pretty good. And 
he combined that with he, you know, he was athletic. He could handle the ball. He like drew some Dwayne Wade comparisons from people, although I don't think he was quite that freaky athletically. But when 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 he had that pull up game to complement his other stuff, yeah, that, we're talking about a different talent level than what people have seen. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, I don't think anyone was shocked that this guy was the number one pick in the draft. There were teams that weren't as high on him as you pointed out. There were teams that didn't have him number one on the board. I know when Boston brought him in for the workout, I don't think they were sold on Fultz. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the reasons they thought that they could move down a couple of spots in the draft because I think they were very confident that Philly was going to take Fultz and that Lonzo Ball was going to go too to the Lakers. Yeah, I think that, that was clear that that's where Ball was going. And, and so they could get some assets in return. Let's just finish up on Mitchell for a minute. He falls to 13th in the draft. And you, you, as you said, on any board right now, he would be top three, if not one or two. What did teams miss with Donovan Mitchell? I think he's actually gotten a lot better since Louisville. I think teams teams were concerned about his size at the two. Didn't really see him as a point guard, which I think proved correct. And we're worried about a 6'2 guy playing on the perimeter. I think he's gotten a lot better with with some subtle stuff, where, especially when he gets closer to the rim. Like he was all two-foot leaping at Louisville. And he he's gotten a lot better about uh, using one steps and Euro draps, steps and finishing his drives uh, that way. And then just, I mean, his, his athletic ability his just his overall athletic ability. I think people underestimated that. And it's weird too, you know, Louisville Patino, he's had a lot of guys who were kind of overachievers and then, you know, they get into the NBA and you're like, wow, Patino made you look a lot better than you really were. And, uh, but Mitchell's one of the few guys who was kind of the opposite, right? Who, when he got to the NBA, you're like, whoa, <laughs> like, I didn't know you had all this. And just to put it in perspective for draft fans who don't remember, Mitchell was a late riser on the board to even get to 13. He, he really started rising in workouts and after the season where he was more in the kind of late 20s, like, you know, kind of a first round, maybe even a bubble first round guy before that. That really started impressing workouts. He does bring a competitive intensity to his game. Uh, I remember the Jazz telling me when they got him and they got him into training camp, like they knew rookie training camp, they knew almost immediately that they'd made the right the right decision. Just the way that he approached the game, how he's approached things. He's also just been an absolute model citizen for the Jazz in many ways, and and a guy that you know it's tough for Utah. They, they, they're not a magnet for free agents. It's not the team that most players really desire. Uh, the top players want to play on. He seems really happy there. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great situation for everyone. And what a trade. Trey Lyles and the rights to Tyler Lydon uh, for, uh, for the pick that became Mitchell. Uh, d- interesting story there. I'm sure you've heard this probably as well. But the rumor was that Denver traded down because they liked OG Ananobi. And then Toronto ended up snagging him one pick ahead of them. And that's how they ended up uh, with Tyler Lydon out of that draft. That clearly did not go well for the Nuggets. The Nuggets have made a lot of great decisions. And this is one of the, actually one of the rare Especially missteps. in the draft, yeah, right? Yeah. The, the draft has really been their biggest strength organizationally. And this is the one time where they really kind of blew it. Okay, well, that's... I've got, I've got Donovan Mitchell going to Philadelphia. If you had had the number one pick, it would have been Tatum. The Lakers are on the clock at two. Who do they take? Surprise. I'm going to take Jason Tatum. Uh, I just think he's, he's clearly the, the, he's the bell of the ball. Like he's of, of all the, there's so many good players in this draft, but he to me is, is the most elite talent. And again, with it's such a separator at the, at the two and the three, when you have, when you have high level two way talent that can switch across positions that can make open shots and can be a creator it's it's it gives you such a gap on the rest of the league when you have that and i so to be at the most important position and to be probably the most talented player i think he's he's clearly number 1 on my board here another guy that has incredible work ethic is always is a student of the game worked with Drew Hanlon for for years and and one of those guys that you can just see the skill level and the work on the skill is something that i think really is going to propel Tatum. It's always interesting, you know, a lot of draft fans talk about, you know, the the positional need. 
And, you know, why did the Lakers go ball? Well, I mean, there was a lot of reasons, but one of them was they, they needed a point guard and they had Brandon Ingram uh, at, at the time that they were developing. At what point, John, in a front office, when you have guys that we t- talk about tears sometimes, and that's a way that I've, I've thought about this in the draft, at what time do you take a guy that's a positional need? Because I think ball for the Lakers was a positional need at point guard. Do you take that guy, even if maybe there's a guy like Tatum, that maybe the talent level's a little bit higher? So two answers to that. One, I think when, when you're rebuilding, almost never. Because it's just it's really just about the talent grab at that point. Because you know you're going to have to execute a lot of other things just to get to the point where you're, where you're good enough to worry about fit, basically. Like, like you have to get the talent part first and then you worry about fit and you make trades or whatever to, to improve on the fit. But if you draft somebody that can't play, you just, you, you don't have anything, right? So getting, getting the talent part, right, is by far the most important thing at any level of the draft. But I, I think especially at the top where the differences tend to be bigger, it's more important. Like in the, sometimes in the, when you get late first, second round, you're, you're, you're really talking about the same tier. You can think a little more about positional fit, especially especially if you're in a situation like we were a couple times where you have too many fives because it's almost impossible to fit them in anywhere else on your team. You know, if, the, if you have a couple small forwards, well, you can, you can do stuff. Guys slide down, guys slide up. You can shoehorn guys in a little more easily. I think that's a great way to look at things, though. So- Again, hindsight's twenty twenty. At the time, Lonzo Ball was very, very high on many draft boards that people were definitely oh, seeing him in the same tier as Tatum. It's it's clear the separation now, right? It's easier to see, oh, they really screwed up there. They took a point guard when this major talent was on the board. But at the time, Lonzo Ball was also considered a major, major talent. Absolutely. And so it wasn't just that the Lakers passed on a guy for positional need that at the time they and many other people, I was also a Alonzo ball fan thought that he was worthy of being the number two pick in the draft and you know, all the other stuff around him as well. It seemed like a, an apt fit to be with the Lakers. Let's go to the Celtics now at three. Maybe they don't make this trade by the way, <laughs> if they had known that Philadelphia or the Lakers had zoned in on Tatum. I think Tatum was their guy, and I think they were, as we said before, pretty confident they could move down a couple of spots and get him. So they they might not have been here. They might have been one and gotten Tatum anyway. But let's say they're at three. Tatum's off the board. I've got the pick. I'm going with Bam out of Bayou, out of Kentucky. Yeah, really good pick for Miami at 14 there. And one of these ones that is, uh, you know, a bit of a head-scratcher, he was – very highly ranked in high school. He looks the part of, of an NBA player all the way. Went to Kentucky and really turned off NBA scouts. At, with There was a lot of Dwight Howard comparisons to Adebayo, even though he was smaller than Dwight Howard, but not in necessarily the favorable way. Right at that point, you know Dwight Howard, and and there was questions about how focused he was on the game, whether he would do the dirty work. He wasn't out there rebounding the way that that teams expected him to rebound. And Calipari was hard on him at, at Kentucky. His his freshman season, his only season at Kentucky. You know there was a lot of question marks about him coming in. You know he ended up averaging thirteen points and eight rebounds a game, which is, which is really solid for a, um, for a big and a, a freshman, but just, they weren't sure. And, and I think teams, he slid for a lot of major questions about his game and what he's going to become. And he has been absolutely phenomenal for Miami. He was an all-star at the age of 22. I mean, you know, 16 points a game, 10 and a half rebounds a game, five assists a game. Where did that come from? The the ball handling, the passing, I think that was the biggest surprise. That people thought of him as a rim runner dunker guy uh, when he came out of Kentucky. And they didn't really see that there was this whole other angle to his game that was kind of kept under wraps at Kentucky. He's just one of these players. And, and did he develop some of that? 
you know, is a, is a question like, you know, he doubled his assist between his sophomore season and, and this third season uh, with the heat. So there's clearly development. And also I think the heat learning a little bit more about how to use bam uh, the right way. He, he looks like he's going to have a monster NBA career. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we'll be, uh, you know, the linchpin of this organization for long, you know, long after the Butler era is over. I think they can look forward to another era after that where you have Bam still in his 20s uh, as kind of the centerpiece of the team, even though he I don't know if he'll ever be the leading scorer on the team, but he does so many other things well that he can be the best player on a good team. So we've had three picks and the 13th and 14th pick in the draft have landed in the top three. This again just show, and it's a good draft. So this just shows you again how unpredictable the draft the draft can be. It's the fourth pick in the draft. The Phoenix Suns are on the board. They select Josh Jackson out of Kansas, which some teams had as a potential number one pick in the draft. Very very highly ranked out of high school, a team that they actually the Celtics were very interested in as well. But Josh Jackson famously refused to come into Boston and do a workout with them in part because he was worried about positional fit and where his agent thought he would fit on this team. Dodged a bullet there. Jackson's been a major disappointment. I'm a hundred percent positive. He will not be your pick at number four. Uh, no, he, he will not. Um, actually I'm going to go with a guy who kind of to me is, is almost the new Mike Conley. He's a, a left-handed point guard who's a little small and might be the most underrated player in the league right now. Uh, De'Aaron Fox uh, out of Kentucky. You compare him uh, to like Donovan Mitchell, who went number one in this exercise. Fox is a year and a half younger and had a better player efficiency rating this year. I think he he came on even as this year went on. He, he kept getting better and improvement and was a, and improving and was a big reason that Sacramento pulled itself back to the fringes of the playoff race in the West as the year went on. The shooting is still a question mark, 33.5% from three for his career. But I just think the the overall game is so effective. He's so good in transition. He's really solid defensively. He can get to his own shot. Uh, and I still think there's a ton of runway for him to get even better. 100% with you on Fox. Really fell in love with his game at Kentucky, there are some glaring weaknesses in his game, but his strengths really are so strong that they don't have the same impact that they might have on other players. Of course, you rob the Kings now. <laughs> Taking him one spot earlier uh, with De'Aaron Fox, and man, could the Suns use De'Aaron Fox right now. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine if they had selected him? I mean, that, that would have... Uh... It would have also stopped them from uh, trading DeAnthony Melton so they could sign Rubio. Like there's a whole house of cards that comes off of that, right? So, yeah, the real missed opportunity for Phoenix there. We always talk about these missed opportunities and and what they can mean to franchises. We talked in our last redraft about Hashim Tabit and and what all the dominoes that 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 played it from Memphis that really kept them from being a title contender. I'm not sure that you could say exactly the same thing about Fox, but this is a different team, and we feel differently about the Suns right now. If De'Aaron Fox Absolutely. is their point guard, and they are a a force to be reckoned with, a major up and coming player, instead he's on the Sacramento Kings, and Josh Jackson is no longer with the Suns. Okay, the fifth pick in the draft, the Sacramento Kings. There's some mourning in Sacramento. They finally got. A great draft pick, and he goes one spot ahead of them now. And I think that there is a a drop off now, right? Th- those yes. to me are the four clear guys. Uh, all of them look like they are going to be absolute studs in the NBA for a really long time. There's still some really good players on the board, but I think there's like a tier that drops off now. I completely agree. Sorry, Sacramento. I'm going with John Collins at five. All right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, Collins, interestingly, you know, at Wake Forest, their teams were all over the place on him. He ends up going 19 in the the draft. 
and teams questioned what he was going to become in the NBA. He was a he was a young player. He was he was you know, 18 at Wake. He was really young who just rapidly developed as as a sophomore. He had a really amazing sophomore season at Wake at 19 points a game, almost 10 rebounds a game. I didn't quite develop, you know, the jumper the way that we've seen him be able to, you know, to develop at in the NBA was wasn't really a, a, a threat from beyond the three point line yet. But the analytic analytic numbers for John Collins, I believe, were very, very high coming into this draft, right? So his yeah, his 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 stats at Wake were ridiculous. The thing that really hurt him uh in with the evaluators was at the defensive end, just defending pick and roll, overall awareness, lack of lower body strength. There were a lot of concerns whether he would just be complete toast at the defensive end. And he's certainly not a good defensive player right now, but he's good enough that you live with it because he's so productive offensively. He's that rare combination of a guy who can be a rim runner or a three-point threat. So you can plug him into multiple places in your offense in, in different sets. And, and it really gets tricky to try and stop everything he's doing. And that's why I think like that Collins, Trey young pick and roll. And then, you know, it's going to be interesting. Now you get Clint Capella involved with that and Collins will probably be even more perimeter, but he's up to 36.9 career from three. So shot 40% from three last season. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not inconceivable that he can be good in, in that role, especially as young as he still is. And he's still, improving as a shooter and he's an 80 percent free throw shooter this season yeah yeah he should he shot the ball really well this year as you guys know i live in atlanta i go to a lot of hawks games i mean his his development as a perimeter guy and it really evolved even as the year went on as he got more confident from three uh has been one of the nice stories for the hawks this year he might be the guy that could jump up into that other tier with those other four players because the development just continues to happen for him. And as you say, with the changing landscape in Atlanta, he may take another step. Yeah. And we just have to see, I I think the defense question is still there a little bit. What can he get to with the defensive end? Can he be a guy that you really want to leave in at the end of the game at the at the five position? Or do you need another guy around to have his back? I think that's going to be one of the big questions for him in terms of his overall value proposition. Okay, John, I'm getting hungry. Our sponsor is Built Bar. They sent me this entire box of Built Bar bars, and I've been going through them on the podcast. I I also eat them a lot when I'm running because they're great protein bars. So, John, what do you think today? I got salted caramel. Uh, toffee almond, peanut butter brownie. Oh man, uh, I'm I'm a big salted caramel fan actually. Okay, Any, anything that says salted caramel on it, I'm I'm a sucker for. Yeah, it. all right, I'm a salted caramel fan as well. And this is the the crazy thing about these bars, John. They're they're protein bars, but they taste like candy bars, and so they're they're soft. You know, you know, a lot of protein bars they're kind of chalky or, um, yeah, they, or ro- or hard as a rock. hard as yeah. a rock. Um, or they taste like they're good for you, where the Built Bar tastes like it's bad for you, but it's actually really good for you. And this is like the crazy thing. There's only 110 calories in this. Um, it's low sugar, but you've got 15 grams of protein in, in these in these bars as well. And one of the things I love is just, just a plethora of flavors that you can pick from really anything that you want. If you're not into nuts, they have nut free ones. If you, you are into nuts, there's a lot of nut ones as well. And you can actually go on their website and you can build essentially your own box. However you want to build it. It could all be all the same flavor. You could have 15 different flavors if you want. And, um, the, the, they're, they're so gooey that it's actually kind of hard to talk, talk through the thing It kind of gets a little stuck in your teeth there because it's like the opposite <laughs> Of, of what you're normally getting um, with these bars. I, I've actually, I, I sincerely mean this. I've, I really love these. And I also love them after runs. And they're just a great quick hit of energy. And uh, all those calories that you burned running don't just get back entered into your system, but you get that protein to recover from your workout. And so we're going to get back to the 
2017 redraft, but I'd love our listeners to go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, John, we're back redrafting the 2017 NBA draft. Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox, John Collins off the board. We're back with picks 6 through 10. You're on the clock. Orlando Magic took Jonathan Isaac, a, a, a swing-for-the-fences type of prospect in this draft. They knew he was raw. We knew this guy was going to take longer to develop than other prospects, but... There was a ton of upside there with Isaac that that the Magic were interested in. His career so far hasn't really panned out the way I think that they had hoped. I thought he really got a lot better this year, and before he hurt his knee, he was really on his way. Uh, I think he's going to be an absolute force at the defensive end between the three and the four. I think his offense is good enough and was getting better this year. The shot is still a little bit of a question mark. The pairing with him and Aaron Gordon doesn't work. I think they need to move off of that and bring in another guy at the forward spot who's a true floor spacer, and that will open more things up for Isaac. But I think Isaac is so good defensively, and especially as you project ahead uh, when he's able to fill out a little more, that he could be such a force at that end that even if he's only average offensively, his overall value will be huge. Uh, so I, I really like him. I, I think I'm really high in his long-term potential. I like that pick, and I would make it again. Okay. Jonathan Isaac, you're right. He really did start to come along this season after two seasons that were a bit questionable about how this was going to pan out. But you kind of knew that. The Magic knew that when they drafted him, that this was not going to be an immediate return type of prospect. I had him just slightly lower on my board. Uh, He was number eight on mine. But okay, we'll take him at six. I've got the Bulls at seven. I'm going to take another guy that got off to a little bit of a rocky start, but I think had a terrific year this year uh, in in New Orleans. I'm going with Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I like that. At seven. You know, it's tough to be drafted by the Lakers. The expectations are out of control. It didn't help the hype machine that his father was creating for Lonzo Ball and all the, and all the expectations that that heaped on him. And he comes in you know, his rookie year and, and I, you know, one of the things I like to point out to people is I think the hardest transition from college to the pros is at the point guard position. Absolutely. And he, he was okay. I I don't, I don't think he was terrible. He averaged seven, seven, seven assists a game. he shot the ball really poorly uh, in, in Los Angeles. And I think that was the, the biggest concern, but this year in new Orleans, I think he got a new lease on life. I love him on this team. I think he's going to love playing with Zion Williamson. He averaged a career high in points. The assists were right there. The And the big thing, and I think the thing that we're all hoping for because it opens up so much of Lonzo's game, is that that shooting, three-point shooting, continues to traje- uh, make that upward trajectory. He went to 38% this year on six and a half attempted threes per game. That's That's the area where you want to continue to see Lonzo improve. What's really interesting is he's a terrible free throw shooter. And so maybe this is one where it doesn't totally correlate the way that it typically does. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to track what happens with his free throw because when he got to the Pelicans, they started rebuilding his shot. And he had that funky release where it was way over on the left side of his body, even though he's a right-handed player. And the Pelicans pulled it over toward the middle of his body and it, it looks a lot better. It's a lot easier for him to get into it off the dribble now. And I think they're, the plan was to continue working on it more during the offseason. Now, we'll, I, don't, I don't know how those plans have gone, given the, the situation we're in, uh, in in the league in this country. But that, that shot is going to be a big thing for him because I think ultimately – his role is going to be as the number two, number three guy, right? He's going to be the guy who's off the ball, 
because he's not really a half-court pick-and-roll operator. As good as he is in transition, leading the break and everything, he needs somebody else to kind of run the show when they get to the, to the half-court. But if he can be that floor-spacing weapon around a player like that, plus he's such a good passer and offers you so many other pluses uh, with his ability to rebound and read the game and defend and do all those other things, then I think you're talking about a really high-value proposition. Yeah, I really like his future in the league. I think that the expectations were so ridiculously high. It was quick. People were quick to label him uh, as, as a bust in the league. And I think he's going to be far from it. I think he's going to be an impact player for the next decade in the NBA. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, cert- certainly a lo- at worst, a long-term starter for New Orleans. Yeah. The New York Knicks are on the clock at eight. They, they liked Frank Tilakina. <laughs> I don't think they like him so much anymore. No, nah, I probably wouldn't recommend doing that one again. Although it's 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 weird what a pass the crowd gave him there, <laughs> you know, like like usually they kill everybody who uh, the the fans there, you know, who who disappoints them. And for some reason, he's like the opposite. He's like the the mascot. Uh, but I, I digress. Uh, I'm gonna go with OG Ananobi, uh, who uh, came into that draft. Uh, you know, he's coming off a knee injury at Indiana, and teams. We're worried that he would just be a total disaster on offense, even though they like the defense, the athleticism, the size. Uh, credit to the Raptors because they have really developed him as a three-point shooter, 38% from three this year. Uh, and he's kind of good enough to, to do some things as a secondary operator. And then you live with that because he's such a good defender. And finding those kinds of players at the wing, again, it's the small forwards, the hardest position to fill with quality and at his size, you know, he can go from two to four. He can guard those different positions. You can play a lot of switchable type schemes with him, uh, which translates to the playoffs. So I, I think he's the clear pick right here. One little draft intrigue that happened. I don't know. Maybe it was about a week before the draft and you'll never know because the Knicks would never admit to this, but the Dallas Mavericks tried to put a massive smoke screen out that they were taking uh, Delakina at eight. Uh, and they even went so far as to hire his international coach to be their summer league coach. Oh, that they were going to take him at nine. You mean. Yeah, no, that they, yeah, that they were going to take him at nine. Yeah. And the reputation that Dallas has for international scouting with Tony Ronzoni, Donnie Nelson, I don't really think there's been a team in the league that has done more scouting or has more experience over there. I think it like lifted lifted his stock up to a certain extent, right? Well, if the Mavs are in love with him, maybe, you know, maybe there's something there. I they wanted Dennis Smith all along. This was mm-hmm. this was one of these classic ruses that was out there to throw teams off to who they were after. Now, in retrospect, they they shouldn't have wanted Dennis Smith. It should have should have invested more in domestic scouting, huh? Yes, <laughs> just an interesting scenario that sort of came out of that. But I wonder how much it affected the Knicks. I wonder if it was the thing that that tilted them towards Frank. It, it turns out to be. A, as as you point out, uh, a very very disappointing uh, pick for the Knicks, and they would have been much much better off with OG. Also, my selection at eight. With the Mavs at nine, I am going to give them Jared Allen, who went twenty second. Yeah, he dropped. You know, he had he had a weird year at Texas, where it was tough to evaluate him that freshman year. Because he just he just wasn't he wasn't super involved, and some of these rim runner types, it's it's really tough to get a feel for them when they play in the college game and they're not doing that. Uh, and and you really have to go off some other things to try to try to figure out what they're going to be like as a pro. But he's good. He's a starting center. I mean, he he blocks shots. He he rebounds. He, he uh you know gets yeah rebounds gets dunks at the rim. Uh, high percentage shooter. Doesn't do any. Doesn't really try to do anything he can't do. I know the Nets have experienced experimented a little with him shooting corner threes. I kind of hoping they stop. Uh, but he's. I mean, if you, 
when he stays in his lane, he's really good. He is. And I think you're exactly right. You know, watching him at the Hoop Summit, I actually think he played fairly well at the Hoop Summit. And I think at times there was thinking that he was going to maybe, you know, crack the lottery, the late lottery in the draft slides on draft night, ends up sliding all the way back up to nine uh, to, to the Mavs in, in our redraft. And again, we're not talking about an all-star here, but a good athletic mobile starting center in the league for a lot of years. I think the other thing that hurt him in this draft, there were a lot of good fives in this draft and not every team needed a five. And, and it's, it's hard to draft a five when you don't have room for them because there's just nowhere else for them to go. So when you look, when you look at some, some of the other bigs, I think a lot of them did ended up getting pushed down. Even some guys who might not necessarily end up picked in our redraft, like, you know, Tony Bradley ended up as the 28th pick. Like he's a good player. Like he probably shouldn't have been 28. Right. So, uh, I, I think that happened with Jared Allen. I, uh, I think that happened a little bit, even with uh, Bam Adebayo uh, and John Collins as you get further up. This might, you know, for both positional need, again, this could be partly the mistakes that you're talking about, about drafting for positional need, and also just the value, as you've talked about previously, that teams are even putting on the center position now, as opposed to other positions in the in the draft. The Blazers had the 10th pick in the draft. They're a trade. I'm, they took Zach Collins out of Gonzaga. Is that your selection at 10? Uh, it's, it's not, it's not going to be, um, I, I'm going to go with a guy who had kind of a tough year, but I still believe in him long-term and that's, uh, Laurie Markinen, uh, who, uh, with Chicago this year, you know, he had some hip injuries. He didn't shoot the ball as well as you really expect. I mean, you, what, when you watch him shoot the ball, it's such a sweet release, uh, only shot 34% from three this year for the bulls and he's at 35.6 for his career. And I still, that still amazes me that he's not a 40% guy because I mean, that release is just my, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful, right? Yeah, and, of course. Any concerns about what happened to him this year? I mean, you look at his sophomore season and where he averaged 18 points a game, got up to nine rebounds a game. And this season was a, a bit of a disappointment all the way around regressed really in every category. Yeah, he did. Uh, it it wasn't a great overall situation in Chicago this year, but I also th- I also wonder if he was more injured than than he let on, because he he just never seemed right even from the opening game. Okay, that's the tenth pick to the Blazers, Larry Markkinen. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. 
and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com NBA. And now we're back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger. We are redrafting the 2017 NBA draft. Charlotte Hornets are on the clock. They take Malik Monk, a fire scorer that when he's hot, he is red hot. And when he is cold, he is ice cold. He was that way at Kentucky. He is proven to be that way in the NBA, you don't hear anything from Leak Monk, and then there's a boom. There's a huge game uh, that that he has, especially very challenging for the Hornets, who actually like Donovan Mitchell, who were deciding between Donovan Mitchell and Malik Monk at 11. Those were the two guys that were the last two guys on their board. They obviously made the wrong call. I think they took Malik Monk because they thought of the shooting was going to be the thing that was going to elevate him. And it turns out he's a career 32% three-point shooter. I nev- never in a million years would have imagined that he would struggle this much shooting. I, th- I think that's a legitimate. So whatever else you think about his defense and his positional fit and and passing or whatever, like the shooting was the thing that was supposed to be an absolute lock guarantee. And that's the thing that hasn't happened. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Maybe it's not a limb. I don't know. We'll see your reaction to this. This is where I think I would still draft Markel Fultz. I think that's about right. I had him him as the next guy on my board, actually. Obviously, his first couple of seasons in the league have been a disaster. A strange, strange combination of a shoulder injury, confidence, how he hurt his shoulder. Did he try to re- make his shooting form. I mean, there's so many questions about what happened to Fultz. I don't think that the Sixers or anybody at the end of the day totally understood what exactly the issue was with him. And what's funny, it was right from the word go. So Grizzly story for you. We played Philly in Fultz's first exhibition game as a pro. And I mean, it was obvious right from then that something was very wrong. Because he got he got his butt kicked and he shot a couple air balls and like it was bad and we were all kind of looking at each other like what, what wait a minute what happened to this guy like uh, it, and obviously it was the mystery just grew the more the year went on all the finger pointing that went on was this some trainer's fault did they try to remake his shot how how badly was his shoulder injured what in what way did that contribute to that. Just a mystery, just an absolute disaster for the Sixers. And while, you know, you can ding them for Jalil Okafor and and maybe some of the other draft prospects that they took, it's really hard to point the finger at Philadelphia and, and explain to me how they necessarily got this wrong. From everything that you scouted at Washington, that was just not the player that showed up for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this one just came, just bonked them over the head out of left field. And, you know, that happens sometimes with injuries or whatever. I mean, talking to some of our trainers in in Memphis, like that is a thing that can happen where you get a muscle in your shoulder impinging on a nerve and then weird things happen, <laughs> basically. Uh, so it's it, it wasn't completely unheard of to them, even though it's obviously uncommon. So, it, you know, it's just, I, I just... Honestly, I just chalked this up to bad luck more than more than any kind of blame. Yeah. And this is a young man who averaged 23 points a game at Washington, five and five and a half rebounds a game, six assists a game, shot 41% from three, just completely forgot how to shoot the basketball. Still shows that craftiness getting to the basket, uh, finishing at the basket. Had a an encouraging year, I think is probably the best way to, to to say it at Orlando was not didn't look anything like the number one pick in the draft or even like a top five pick in the draft but comparatively to the last two years this year 12 points a game five assists a game 
I think that's a really important number for him. He his shooting numbers went up from the field. His three point shooting is still a mess, but I I still think that the player is there. And if he can get turned around, I think it was actually super helpful for him to get out of Philadelphia. All those expectations go to a low expectation setting in Orlando where they didn't have to give up much to get him and he could just work on his game and develop if I'm the Magic, I, I feel good about this deal right now, and I think that there's a lot of room for growth here. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think he still shows those flashes where he does things that most NBA players can't do in terms, you know, with ball handling or passing or just little athletic finishes. I mean, he's a guard who shot 65% at the rim this year. Like that, that doesn't happen normally. So I, I still think there's a lot of upside here, even if the shot never totally comes around. Okay, you're the Pistons. You're at 12. You took Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell. And again, shooting, shooting, shooting was, I think, again, the reason that he gets selected over Donovan Mitchell. Who do you select at 12? Uh, I'm going to go a little out of left field here and go with Derek White, uh, who, again, was probably better his second year than this past season. I think the backcourt in San Antonio got maybe a little crowded. This year was a little harder for him to really play to all his strengths than he did in the playoff series against Denver the year before. But you look at it overall, like he still had a pretty good year. He's a good defensive player, supernatural instincts as a shot blocker for a guard, even though he's not like a great overall athlete. Uh, Really good foul shooter, okay perimeter shooter. just overall, like a good combo guard who who's capable of starting at either position. A little older player. He was 23 when he came into the league. But I still think he has a nice runway here to be a productive player for a fairly long time. I think that's a great, great selection for him. And I think you're right. I think bringing DeJounte Murray back, uh, especially you know, where all of that, where he fits and all that affected some of this as well. But I actually think that's a really defensive, serviceable pick at 12 for the Pistons. Okay. Utah Jazz are on the board, or maybe it's the Denver Nuggets. Maybe the Jazz don't move up uh, in the draft and trade Trey Lyles. Probably don't, actually. They, They were locked in on Donovan Mitchell. He had had a great workout for them. It was a desperate need. They desperately needed a guy who could just go out and create his own shot and as to pair with Rudy. And so there was a, a lot of things that aligned for the Jazz that I'm not sure that – I'm sure that player doesn't exist now at 13 on the board. I'm going to give them a hometown pick if it's Utah. Uh, I'm going to give them Kyle Kuzma here. And, John, help me understand – which Kyle Kuzma is the Kyle Kuzma that's going to be in the league? Is it the 22 and 23-year-old Kuzma in his sophomore year averaged 18 points a game? Is it the LeBron <laughs> Kuzma uh, this year who uh, struggled, averaged 12 points a game, uh, shot under 30% from three when one of his supposed attributes is that he's a stretch, stretch big guy uh, in the league? That This is where it was hard for me to place him right now. Based off of last season, he probably doesn't make his list, but because of those first, those strong first two seasons at the Lakers. Yeah. So here's, as, as one of, uh, as one of our coaches put it to me uh, before we played them once, uh, this guy is thirsty. Uh, I think his playing style doesn't necessarily fit that well with, with LeBron and AD where it fits better is on a team that needs more of a pure scorer. And someone who can just come in and get a bunch of buckets, whether it's whether it's starting or coming off the bench, uh, he he just has a really good knack. Even though he's not a great outside shooter, uh, his end-to-end speed, his quickness, his uh, his his ability to just score in different ways around the basket is is all really helpful in the right situation. He's a good rebounder. Defensively, he needs to get better, which is interesting because when we scouted him, we thought we thought he'd be we thought he'd be pretty decent on this end just because of his size and he seemed pretty quick and he's actually underwhelmed at that end. I think he just needs to, he's kind of a little too focused on scoring, but 
really effective scoring around the basket, especially if you can get him on the move and in transition. Uh, I still think he has a really high, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know if ceiling's the right word, but he could be really effective in a certain role uh, where you're asking him to score, whether it's as a sixth man. uh, I think think he's an ideal sixth man, but on a lot of teams, you kind of need him to be in the starting lineup. But again, he's, he's like one of those guys, he's a little bit, you know, he can play three and four, so he gives you some positional flexibility too. I just think there's a lot of places where he fits that it works better than it does in L.A. The Pelicans really tried hard to get him in the Anthony Davis trade, and he was the guy that the Lakers held back on and said, we're not, we're not trading Kuzma. Which is really interesting to me because, he, you know, I – I think Josh Hart could have fit the things that they need done there with LeBron and AD better than Kuzma does. Yeah, maybe a little bit of a, a misstep by the Lakers, or maybe Kuzma becomes a, a chip down the road. That, that yeah, gets you could argue prospect. that Kuzma. Yeah, that he could have more trade value coming ahead. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. It's going to be really interesting because he's going to be up for an extension after this season. What uh, where that goes? Yeah, and where, what do you give him? It's a, a tough call. Okay, the Miami Heat. 14. They drafted Bam. Amazing pick. He's not here. Who do you take at 14? Well, uh, I got to go Homer on this one. Uh, I'm going to take uh, from uh, the University of Oregon and Mississauga, Canada, uh, Dylan Brooks. (laughs) How did I know that Dylan Brooks was going to make this list? Is this truly a homer pick? Is this really your 14th guy on your board? <laughs> this is this is my number 14 guy. I think uh, I think 3 and D guards are hard to find. I think he's shown he's one of those guys. Okay, Dylan Brooks, 14. John Hollinger takes a victory lap. <laughs> there was a few other guys that, that yeah, we could have there's some, we could have talked about here, right? Yeah, so I mean, you look, there's actually a lot of good players that we did not take. Uh, when you look at Zach Collins, Josh Hart, Luke Kennard, Monty Morris, Thomas Bryant, Tony Bradley, uh, even Harry Giles, who had a pretty good second half of this season. Josh Jackson actually came back to life uh, in those games before the uh, before the shutdown. I mean, he's a guy who would have been a plausible selection as well, I think, still. So there, there were a lot of different ways you could go here. All right, let's talk about a few of the guys that went high that didn't pan out. Let's do some CSI work here. Josh Jackson. Well, again, you can't be drafting Kansas guys, I think. is, the <laughs> is that, That's the lesson. <laughs> Good to know. If we've learned one thing from these redrafts. I think he was in a bad situation in Phoenix and wasn't uh, – didn't didn't maybe have the uh, attributes off the court to be able to handle it, uh, and and I think that really hurt him. Do you think that there's a maturity level now that's starting to kick in? I think you could certainly make that case. I mean, talking to some of the people in in Memphis that have been around him, I mean, I, th- I think I think they're feeling and hoping, you know, that they're uh, they're optimistic on that front. Now, there's a whole decision that has to be made about whether to retain him that goes goes beyond just that but I, th- I think there's definitely some optimism that getting out of that situation in phoenix and maybe a little more structured environment uh with the g league team in memphis for so much of this year uh that that could really help him there there was a lot to like about his game in kansas uh very versatile defended the basketball could handle the ball a little bit actually though his shot was a bit ugly to watch shot 38% from three at, mm-hmm. at Kansas. His feel his, um, his free throw percentage was probably the canary in the coal mine that told you that that wasn't going to uh, be sustainable, yeah, sure. uh, but it was really known as a competitor, as a winner. It'll be interesting to see if he can turn his career around. I haven't completely given up hope on him, but certainly as the number four pick in the draft and as a guy that some teams looked at as a potential number one pick in the draft, he's been a massive disappointment. Frank Delakina. Yeah, just 
like he's he's a guy who's probably going to be able to stay in the league just because of his defense and he can shoot it okay. But offensively, he he just never had that gear to really be a creator. And I think that was why him as a lottery pick was always a little bit of a stretch. It was the defensive end that he was earning that reputation, but a guy that's a career 36% uh, field goal percentage for his career and a 31% three-point percentage just really can't get the ball in the basket. Yeah, I mean, he's just an okay jump shooter and then, again, just doesn't have the Jets to get anything near the basket, so he's relying on the jump shooting, and he's not nearly good enough outside shooter to depend on that for a living. Dennis Smith. Yeah, there were a lot of question marks. If you remember, Chad, coming into that season, he was talked about as a potential number one pick. Right. And and he had that crazy good game at Duke uh, in the middle of the year, and people were still looking at him as maybe being in that top tier and then really started sliding when people started doing their background on him. There was a knee injury in his past that people were concerned yep. about. Uh People questioned why NC State wasn't better, why he wasn't impacting the team that much, and and questioned his shot, which I think proved to be accurate. And uh, and that's that's where we are. He's actually, I mean, he was Frank Nilakina's backup this year. And despite the the talent and being able to score the basketball, which which he clearly you know had his rookie season, he averaged fifteen points a game. Because he, yeah. he can put the ball in the basket, but can he do it at a high percentage? Can he do it efficiently? And can he do it without killing your team with turnovers and poor decision-making on shots was always the question, and the answer so far has been no. Exactly. He just he just never turned the corner in that respect and got better, which is interesting because a lot of rookie guards, you put them out there, and, and that happens the first 20, 30, 40 games. But then the second half of the season, they recognize things, they turn the corner, and, and it starts really trending upward. That just never happened with Dennis Smith. Yeah. And there was a lot of people in New York when they got him as part of the, the trade that got them, uh, that got Dallas Christoph Sprazingis, that actually thought he was going to be the better fit at point guard. He was the guy that was going to come in and really be able to light it up at the garden. And it's just been. A major, major yeah. disappointment. And and briefly for his time in New York, you know, 14.7 points a game after that trade, there was, a, you know, a few signs of that, but it, it just fell off a cliff this year. Zach Collins. He's all right. Like, we, we could have taken him. I think Portland wishes they took the other Collins, but, you know, he's he had a tough year this year. We didn't really get to see him. Uh, I think I think he's... You know, they kind of pushed him into into being the starting four. I think he's probably more of a five. And I think it still remains to be seen exactly what his level is, if he's really a starter, if he's more just a rotation guy. I'm like, yeah, he's a, he's all right. Like, we, we could have just as easily taken him in as, as not in this exercise. Malik Monk. We talked a little bit about it. The shock, the absolute shock with Malik Monk is how poorly he shot the basketball from three. Did not see that coming, was a 40% three-point shooter at Kentucky with unlimited range, and his free throw percentage at 82% said that, you know, that wasn't the issue. Shot 28% from three this year in Charlotte. Yeah, just shocking, right? I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I really thought he could shoot at Kentucky. and that, So the, I'm floored by what's happening. The shooting, the athleticism the aggressiveness you can get why he slipped this because of the lack of size and what position does he play and who does he defend and uh, his shot selection. I mean, there's a number of reasons that justified him slipping this low, but it's just, I think that's the right word, just shocking at, at how poorly he's ended up shooting the basketball in the league. And without that, there's just not a lot of reason to play Malik Monk. Not at all. Luke Kennard. Another guy we could have just as easily taken. Like, he had some pretty good moments this year. He's a 40% three-point shooter. He's shown some ability to create and pick and roll as, like, a secondary guy. Uh, probably never going to be much of a defender, but he definitely has value and a place in the league. Is he a long-term starter? I think he's still questioned that a little. And obviously, Detroit, you know, the two All-Stars got picked right after him, so that, that'll always uh, smart a little for them. Yeah, he, he actually had... A, a really he, he only played in 28 games for Detroit this year, 
but 16 points a game, shot 40% from three, shot 50% from the field, and averaged four assists a game, yeah. which is a little bit of yeah. an underrated part of his game, ability to handle the ball and, and pass the ball, which was what attracted some teams to him at this point in the draft. Maybe he's going to turn it around a little bit. Yeah, I think you know, like I said, I think he's a good offensive player. And is it more, is he more of a six man lead creator in in that role, or is he good enough to to be a starter? And can he hold up enough to be a starter? And then the other thing you worry about a little now is the knee uh, that gave him so much trouble this year. The bad bad times with knees in Detroit. All right. Well, that has been our redraft of the 2017 NBA draft. We will be back next week redrafting the 2006 we're going way back 2006 nba draft where andrea bargiani went number one to the raptors <laughs> i have a feeling he won't go number one and adam morrison bill simmons all-time favorite college basketball player went number three to charlotte a lot to talk about wow and the guy i like tyrus thomas Went fourth to Chicago. Also not so good. And, dis- and Sheldon yeah. Williams went five, man. This is a disastrous. That, that, wow. Wow. <laughs> LaMarcus wow, yeah, Aldridge <laughs> was good. It was a disastrous top five. But we're going we're gonna to have to stretch a little bit in the 2006 draft. Wow. Oh, I'm looking at, wow. There are some names in this draft. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. We'll, wow. We'll have some fun. We'll go way, <laughs> way back. 2006. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.